For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast with myself, Joe Donoghue. Uh, first episode of the year, 2022. I uh, hope you all had an enjoyable New Year and Christmas period. Um, of course, this year we have the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, uh, the African Cup of Nations, which starts this month, uh, as well as the Club World Cup and the under-17 and under-20 editions of the Women's World Cup. So, big year ahead, lots to discuss. But today we begin year with a club specific episode once more and I'm, I'm pleased to announce we have Ed Stratman back on the pod. Um, it was only a matter of days into the year, two or three I think, that, that Nico Kovac was sacked by AS Monaco uh, which gave us the, the inspiration to, to collaborate again. Um, Ed writes for, for the Monaco Tribune and really has his ear to the ground when it comes to, to the club in the Principality. Um, we're going to be discussing Kovac out, Philippe Clement in, uh, as well as the likes of Aurelien Chouameni, Sofiane Diop, Myron Boadu, Crepin Diata, uh, and the like, because as I should mention, there, there are quite a few under 23 players of interest at Monaco, kind of harking back a little bit, at least for me anyway, to those heady days in the mid 2010s with Leonardo Jardim, Kylian Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, Thomas Lemar, and co. Um, but yeah, Monaco will be hoping that, that new boss Clement can, can get a tune out of those youngsters in the current squad. Maybe not quite emulating the success of 16 17, but We'll have to wait and see. Um, without further ado, though, Ed, welcome back to the podcast. Um, how are things at your end? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, everything's good on my end. It's obviously a lot going on um, at Monaco in the last few days with the Kovac and Clement and then obviously signing Vanderson too from Gremio. So, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a good, pretty busy week. But yeah, so with regards to the yeah, I've been writing for the Monaco Tribune for nearly three years now. So started in the 18-19 season just after Jardim took over again after Henri's um, sacking, which, yeah, it was a pretty disastrous um, tenure, that one. So basically he had the remit to to just save the team from relegation, Jardim, and he did that by, by finishing just out of the relegation zone. So that was good. And then, yeah, so... It's been, it's been, it's always pretty much with Monaco developing amazing young players like a lot of those ones you've just mentioned from that memorable 16-17 campaign and the Champions League run. Yeah, the 17-18 season after that Jardim one was was good too, finishing second. And then obviously since then, it's, yeah, since the time I've started riding, it's been quite turbulent. So, yeah, so the 19-20, then Jardim got sacked in that campaign as well and then replaced by Moreno and got ninth in that league season but then obviously the the sort of rebuild started with Paul Mitchell coming in as a sporting director and then Nico Kovac obviously got installed in 2020 so that sort of leads us nicely to where we'll begin our chat I think. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as you say, over that three years, it's not exactly been plain sailing for for the club, who obviously won the the league and title in two thousand seventeen. You know, narrowly escaping uh, relegation uh, when Jardim came back, but then sort of a bit of managerial turnover, and it, it's obviously quite fitting and and you know no different right now with with Nico Kovac being ousted and 
and Philippe Clement, formerly of, of Club Brugge in, in Belgium, uh, you know, d- done very well there, now coming in. Um, I just wanted to sort of give sort of a brief summary to, to anybody who, who hasn't followed Monaco this season. You know, currently at the time of recording, uh, they're sixth in Liga. Uh, they topped their Europa League group with uh, Real Sociedad, PSV Eindhoven and Sturm Graz. Um, they were unbeaten in that. Um, but they, there, there seems to have been a bit of an issue with sort of conceding goals. Um, you know, not an awful lot of clean sheets, particularly in the league. Um, you know, obviously they are the club from the principality they are you know blessed with enormous wealth um russian under russian ownership and you know now with with clement coming in um i think the 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 hope is that maybe can can improve on that current sixth place standing towards the end of the season to 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 really nail down european football next year because as we all know that's kind of the money maker for clubs um but you know who who's calling the shots essentially you know who are the protagonists at at monaco where you've got basically, I'll just give you that answer first with Oleg Petrov, sort of the VP and the, and the CEO. And then you've obviously got Mitchell, who's basically the sporting director mm. and the owner president is Riba Lovlev. So they obviously seem to have quite a good relationship, those three, and they, they seem to be the main power brokers um, per se, making these decisions, a lot of these things. Because like you say, this season Monaco haven't, it started very badly this season, obviously with the um, failing to make the Champions League, falling to Shakhtar in the in the playoffs, um, which was actually kind of a sad outcome because we qualified directly to the Champions League, but by virtue of Villarreal beating Manchester United in the Europa League, we had to then go through the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it was left a pretty sour taste, not making it, falling short despite playing well against. Shakhtar, but overall the season's been um, quite decent. Obviously the start was terrible in the league and the Champions League, just really sort of stale performances, just not quite getting the team going. A few injuries, the heavy schedule, playing sort of, you know, three games every seven days. And just the just the, the mistakes that led to a lot of those goals is just like quite disappointing. So, like Monaco, lead league in most ball losses. So that sort of sort of sums it up. And there's been a lot of um, tinkering with the formations by Kovac, sort of trying to get the right balance, sort of the, the sort of mixing four four twos, four two three ones, and obviously the, the three two four one, which was the um, established sort of attacking shape, which we'll probably mention later. But as we currently sit, yeah, Monaco had only lost one in their last twelve games. And that was against PSG where they actually played amazingly, but and Mbappe got a double and, yeah, sort of just the star power of PSG shone through. But, yeah, like if you look at like the underlying numbers were very impressive this season. Like I did an article just last week on the Monaco um, Tribune and, yeah, Monaco ranked first in the league for progressive passes, first for passes into the final third, second for through balls, second for long passes, third for deep completions, fourth for smart passes and fifth for most possessions. So there was, there was a lot of good things going on there. And also in the defensive side, like the passes per defensive action, they were first as well mm. and top for challenge intensity. And also they were number one for fouls conceded. So it shows their desire, you know, their pressured desire with, with pressing and counter-pressing, like they yeah, engaged in the second most defensive um, jewels and they rated third for least shots conceded. So it sort of shows you just those mistakes that 
that really cost them, especially at the beginning of the campaign. So on the face of it, it seems a little bit harsh, the sacking, but we'll delve into the reasons um, why later. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of is the, the I think, where, we, where we're going to begin, because as I said in the introduction, you know, that was kind of the, the inspiration to, 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 to speak about Monaco again, uh, or, or to speak about Monaco, because, you know, uh, it's from, from, from an exterior perspective, you know, you're looking at this and you're thinking, well, sixth isn't the end of the world. There's still half a season to go. Um, you know, results have improved lately, obviously have done well in the Europa League, unfortunate with the, the not being able to qualify for the Champions League, as you say, um, you know, you can't really put that down exclusively to Kovac, can you? Um, and while I do agree that Philippe, Philippe Clement is a good addition, um, a good appointment, rather, um, you know, very forward-thinking coach who's, who's, who showed that he is, you know, a very good man-manager as well, I think, uh, from his time at Club Brugge. Uh, and they, he's obviously been very highly regarded in, in Belgium, you know, one multiple Belgian coach of the year awards won multiple titles with Brugge and Genk and it's you know I, I, I was just a little bit curious to think okay well clearly they've because of the speed at which they replaced Kovac they've definitely had this lined up um, and just uh, essentially you know what 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 has been the straw that broke the camel's back in in moving on from Kovac and replacing him with Clement? Yeah well According to a lot of the reports that we've been hearing, it's obviously things like the, a few issues with um, the dressing room. Like I know there's been a bit of stuff with Ben Yedo when he's not been happy when he hasn't been started and substituted. And he's had a bit of a falling out with Fafana as well because he, he dropped him for some of those early games and he hasn't been playing as well as he did last year. But like on the face of it, yeah, it's, it's, I think it boils down to an issue with Paul Mitchell and also the the sort of director director of technical performance, I guess his title is James Bunce, who who Mitchell brought in and he was sort of doing some of the training methods and um, philosophy regimes and apparently Kovac wasn't in full agreement with these and the heavy schedule. So, um, yeah, it was sort of like a bit of tension over that and I think obviously maybe Mitchell sort of erred on the side of, like his his like his friend then over Kovac maybe there's there's been rumours of that but apparently a lot of the dressing room were quite surprised at the decision quite unexpected and you know because that like we said the results have been um, pretty good so I think it's more to do with the deteriorating relationships with the powers that be more so than his actual um, work that he's doing on the field and on the on the training ground per se because if we wanted to do it on results you could have done it a long time ago so yeah because if you look at last year finished third in the league runners up in the Coupe de France you know there's a lot of lot of positives and after obviously he took a while to get going and once the turn of it like 2021 came it was just Monaco were just on a massive huge surge in form and I think they only they went on a run where they only lost one in 19 games and the three-two-four-one shape offensively with the ball was working beautifully, and they'd more play a back four without the ball, but with 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 the ball, they'd more have the three-two-four-one going, and you could have Voland and Golovan and Diop or, and and those kind of guys operating as sort of dual tens, and you'd have Shalmeni and Fafana as the double pivot in there, and that was just a formidable duo. Those two, they were just amazing, and then 
Cow Henrique on left and left left wing back, and he he had a magnificent season, so consistent. And Ben Yedder was playing well. Voland, like we said, was doing well. So yeah, it was it was a little bit um, surprising in a way, but as we've sort of heard as the days have progressed this week, it looks like the decision wasn't purely down to his performance and results with the team on the field. So politics over performance then I, I, I gather, yeah. you know, yeah. as it often is sometimes, Late, you know, right. ultimately if sometimes if your face doesn't fit, then, you know, you can un- end up becoming a casualty, I suppose. But, um, you know, Clement has come in, he's typically deployed a sort of a, a four, three, three, but with, with sort of, well, inside forwards or creative attacking midfielders sort of on those those attacking wide areas um and it'll be interesting to see how how he works with this this monaco team because you know as you're saying in terms of the style with kovac you know it's been it's slightly different but i do still think that there's um there's there's a bit of overlap in their styles there that that you know he could implement something um, of his um, pretty quickly without you know major o- uh, upheaval, um, and it's also curious because uh, Clement has obviously been at Club Brugge beforehand, um, and uh, stay with me here, but with the Circle Brugge who share a stadium and are rivals with Club Brugge, they are owned by Dmitry Rabolovlev, uh, who you said of course is is the president of of Monaco. He's he's the owner of Circle Brugge, um, and. It's curious that I I I, I've, I can't lay claim to you know any information which says that um, they've been aware of Clement and his success because of the, Monaco's links to Brugge, but it it does it, it is quite interesting, isn't it? That you know Circle are so that that Clement has been so sort of close to the to the sort of the the, the Monaco sphere of influence and now takes over that job. Yeah, it's pretty interesting um, development, isn't it? Especially, um, you know, obviously they're, they're clearly got their finger on the pulse of what's going on over in Belgium there, Paul Mitchell and the, the, the recruitment scouting department at Monaco. So, yeah, so obviously one of Paul Mitchell, he actually for Circle Brugger appointed Paul Clement as the manager when he first started at Monaco and he's since been sacked after they went on a terrible run of form. But, yeah, you'd have to think that they've... Um, taken a sort of a keen eye on what's going on over there with the Clement appointment and obviously he's shown how well he worked with with the young players he's he's shown some good tactical flexibility with back five often a lot of times in the Champions League and then mixing it up with back four systems and playing sort of very modern offensively geared football which is obviously what Mitchell and, and Monaco's owners want for the team which they were getting from Kovac more or less, so yeah, you, it's 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 quite a nice fit with the young players, and he's obviously developed a heap of young players while still winning and instilling his ideas. So it's pretty impressive what he's done there, and lots of high pressing, counter pressing. So he's very high in the in the sort of leading the league, top echelon of the league for those numbers, which will have stood out as well. And having the the high shot numbers his teams tend to have is definitely something Monaco need because like we were just discussing with the stats from yesterday, the one thing that they probably, they just need some more production, more shots. They get they get in the positions, but they, the shots and the quality of the locations just need a few more efforts on net. So yeah, obviously they, he's done an amazing job with people like Noah Lang and 
the Ketelaire and obviously Doss this year, Sobol, Vorma and Soki, Buchanan, like lots of good players. And even the ones that have left, like Kasonu, Dennis, Diata, who he'll reunite with at Monaco, at Okareki, Voss. And so he's, he's played a big role in a lot of these players getting to where they are. And it sort of does bode well and look like a really nice fit on the surface. So he's, while he's certainly got a challenge on his hands, if in light of what's happened, he's probably a good man to take the job. It's just just sort of the fickle nature of football management. Just sort of, it, it's just a tough thing, obviously, because Kovac didn't do a heap wrong, and now Clement's going to be thrust into that situation. And you just hope that he everything stays smooth for him, so the same thing doesn't happen to him. What just happened to Kovac? Yeah, and I think it probably helps that he's six foot five and a former central defender. You know, yeah, you're, not exactly, yeah. you're not going to disagree yeah. with him in the dressing room, are you? But, <laughs> um, you know, his ideas are going to be are going to be gospel. Um, but yeah. no, as you say there, you know, rattling off those names, it's it's you know, he's he's proven that he's he's been able to work with uh, young players, particularly obviously in Belgium, where his experience lies. Um, obviously reuniting with Crepin Diata, who's obviously injured at the moment. Um, but he was, I mean, he was electric in Belgium. And, uh, you know, as a result, earned that move to Monaco. Um, how many months ago was it now? Must have been, must have been over 12 yeah. months now. Yeah, but 18 months, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how you mentioned, obviously, with the um, the transfer business. And uh, I think it'd probably be good to get on that because you mentioned Paul Mitchell, um, obviously has worked with the sort of the Monaco uh, ownership for for a few years now um but you know but in his own right had a had a, a middling f- professional c- playing career in sort of england's um england's lower leagues uh but then you know earned his spurs if you will sort of in the recruitment department at spurs um which is probably why it's a name which will be familiar with any any spurs fans um you know i, I think it's fair to say that his you know the, the the talent identification that Monaco have gone have gone for has has not been has not been too shabby, but maybe the fits and maybe the the integration of some of the new players hasn't quite been you know really really on point. You know I'm I'm looking at the likes of Ismail Jakobs uh, coming in from Germany and and Maran Boadu coming in from the Netherlands. You know they at face value and in particular Boadu, who you know we were at scouted so high on. Um, when he was at AZ Alkmaar uh, in the Netherlands, you know, suffered some really bad injuries, but um, was def- was due a, a big move at some point, and and Monaco looked to be sort of a nice incremental step up. Um, hasn't quite adapted, um, and you know we can get into why that might be because of the the options ahead of him in in the pecking order. But um, you know, Diata has maybe I don't know maybe been a little bit undersized at times in Liga. We, because I think sometimes it, it goes under the radar, you know, Ligue 1 is quite a physical league. Um, and I think that's something which which often gets forgotten about. Um, so I, I wanted to get your you know position on on, on the, the recent transfer business. I know they've just brought in Vanderson from Gremio as well, um, which is obviously going to be one which will follow closely over the next couple of months. But what's your stance been on, on Paul Mitchell and, and the new, new additions, particularly those under 23s? Yeah, the Jacobs is obviously he hasn't had a sort of a blistering start to life. He's had a few made some errors and, and some costly ones and he's just obviously not quite there with his integration. And for a man he hasn't he didn't actually play a huge amount of first team football before joining, so I would think he just needs more time and obviously with the cup games that'll help him. 
But, yeah, he's just – and it's not easy being behind Henrique, who's just been sensational, one of the best players um, easily in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. So, yeah, but he's, he's obviously – like, there's plenty of promise there, like you guys would, would know over at Scout. And, and it's like he's super quick. He's quite a good crosser, ball carrier, great engine up and down the touchline. It's just – I think he just needs some more time and it probably doesn't help his cause, the, the, the change of coach, but it also might have – Obviously, the opposite reaction, it might work in his favour. But, yeah, he's just sort of needs more time, I think. It's a bit too early to judge him completely. And Boadu, that's that's probably the one that um, we were probably hoping for a bit more from. But it's like you said, it's a physical league and it's never never easy to come straight in and hit the ground running always. So, um, he, he obviously, like you said, the competition for places when you've got Ben Yedder and Voland ahead of him but you look at last year and Jovetic um, he's now since left but he he did really well as sort of an impact substitution so it would have been good if he could have Boadu could have just sort of slotted in and taken that role initially with the goals but yeah he hasn't added too many of them he's only got two and two goals and one assist in 25 appearances which is um, definitely not what anyone probably expected but there, it hasn't all been bad. He's had some good, good, good displays in the Europa League and in the league, and he's just usually he's a very, very good finisher. So he's he's missed some very presentable chances, and in time you'd hope that that would work itself out, and the inconsistency will hopefully go away with more minutes. And but they're like some of the movement you can tell watching throughout his career. He's just he's a very clever player, really, really smart. Uses his pace angles his runs well, sort of little zigzags, double movements to gain separation. All, all the hallmarks are there of a really good player and he's still so young. So we're hopeful that, that come the new this year and the new coach should see hopefully great things from him. And just a quick word on Jean-Lucas, who we got from Lyon, who, who was quite good at quietly impressive at Brest last year on loan. He's come in, sort of been mixed around, playing as one of the tens, playing as a in the central center of the park and just hasn't quite got the continuity, but another one, he's a great, he's a great backup to have for Chowmany and for Fana. So just giving him a little bit more time, but he had some great depth and Nubel obviously coming from Bayern on loan started pretty, pretty poorly indeed. So, and he's, he's working his way back now. So just a quick word on those two. And um, hopefully it's all, it's all on the up for 2022 for the new signings. Of course, that they're, they're the new signings, but in terms of you know somebody who at twenty one is already well established um, within this Monaco team, and and you know I, I don't think it's you know it's an exaggeration to say it's probably been one of the more consistent players in Liga over the past eighteen months or so is Aurelien Tuameni, um, who some people may know from their football manager saves, they may know from watching Liga, um, they may know from following Monaco directly, but he's you know. Uh, it was really interesting when you mentioned that you sort of Monaco's overall style, which was, you know, press heavy, um, the, the, you know, lots of defensive actions, um, you know, they're good at getting into good areas, but maybe not at executing those chances. And that kind of sounded like Tuameni in a microcosm to me, you know, he's, his, his passing volume is good. You know, the accuracy is, is reasonable, but it's his progression into the final third and, and the penalty area, which is, you know, his real moneymaker, you know, he is just, He's, he's like a frigate, you know, trying to get round him off the ball and trying to get the ball off him is virtually impossible. Um, and 
that was something which I came into this sort of already knowing. And then I went and had a look at his numbers and his defensive numbers are ridiculously good. You know, like 99th percentile for, for midfielders in Europe's top five leagues for tackle volume and tackle success, you know, and that's all over the pitch. Like, you know, it's the defensive third, the middle third, the attacking third. He's in, in all of those areas. He's at least in the top 10% of, of midfielders. And you think... Okay, that's, I mean, that's pretty notable. Um, you know, if that was the only thing he was good at, then yeah, you might say that he's, he, you know, he, he's somebody where you could deploy him in a specific system, but he's pretty formidable all over, um, you know, and that largely comes from from his size and his ability, his comfort in, in ball carrying as well. Um, I mean, he's, to me, it seems as though he's sort of having a coming of age season at, at 21 you know as as one of the protagonists in this monaco team you know from someone like you who watches monaco quite regularly i mean what what is it like what what immediately sort of strikes you when i say the name aurelian chiomeni yeah he's just just a multifaceted amazing young player with and he's just showing lots of maturity discipline and intelligence and shining in all phases of the game like you've mentioned he's He's just a formidable presence and obviously getting French international call-ups. And, yeah, he's just he does everything really, really well to a high level. He's just, like you say, he uses his frame really, really well to sort of shield the ball. And he's pretty handy in, on possession with his dribbling and shielding. And he's quite resistant to, pre- resistant to pressure. And just so strong, and in the, like you said, he's a he's a really good progressive passer, line breaking some of those trademark through balls over the top to to oblige the runs of the forwards and and just crisp with the combination play, breaking the lines into feet, and he just he just does a lot of things really well. And and with the with the defensive, oh, before I get off, and and the goal threat as well, like like we've added, yeah, just he's a he's a big threat as well. With with chiming in with some good goals, not just from open play, but also from set pieces. He's just um, yeah, he uses his size really well, and and like you said, the defensive work, reading the play, obviously is key. He's pretty good in the air as well. He's tenacious at getting those second balls, using his long legs, using his strength, unbalancing opponents. So he's just at the moment, he's just one of the one of the most promising uh, midfielders in in Europe, and we hope. At Monaco, we can we can keep a little bit longer, but um, it might be a challenge. Obviously, probably have him till the end of the year, but any longer than that, I think we might be pushing it. So, yeah, he's improved. He's improved amazingly since since coming from Bordeaux, and no one probably would have expected he's done that well. Like he was a, a massive talent um, before joining Monaco, but he's just elevated his game to another level, and he keeps getting better and better. He maybe was even better last year. Um, obviously with the team not quite firing as well, but probably sort of the new from sort of 2021 to the end of last season, it's, he was especially amazing. So, yeah, the, probably the, this 2021 as a whole has certainly been a breakout year for him. It's it's um, sort of the, the sky's the limit for him, it, it really appears. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the interest that was in Eduardo Camavinga for, for from from Ren over the summer, and, and you know, in the build up to that, um, you know, not to compare them directly because you know they're they're different players, and I think um, maybe at the stage that Camavinga was at, um, he because he was younger, he was definitely the more lucrative product, and um, you know, w- with the fact that Chuameni, who uh, you know had 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 a good six months at 
that you know last summer under his belt as you mentioned there but maybe there were a few reservations from from his form beforehand um i think there'll definitely be be fewer reservations given that you know he's he's really continued that and continued to be one of monaco's main players uh, this season um you know speaking of breakout years and you know having you know good good periods of form um I, i've been really pleased to see uh sofian diop uh, doing well you know finally coming good kicking on this season uh with monaco uh sort of yeah, for anybody who isn't aware of diop he's, he's an attacking wide player um you know plays but he's quite versatile you know he's, he's you can you can put him in a few different roles and definitely trying to in 2022 trying to consciously remember that roles are better than positions um which is something that I do always find myself slipping back into. But he's got, um, I think it's five goals and two assists in Liga this season. Uh, and and looking at his, his XG and looking at his expected assists, there's a slight overperformance there. But I'd say that's for me anyway. For some, you know, you know, I've I've seen I've seen clips. I, I watch I've watched highlights of Diop. I, I don't watch you know his off ball movement in every game that Monaco play. That's you know, it's not something I do. But looking at sort of the, the the numbers it's not too much of a concern that he's overperforming because typically his his he's picking his shots well and players that pick their shots well naturally are going to overperform their their expected goals because you know they're they're doing better than the average player would um so i think that that's quite good especially in this monaco team where you've said ed that you know perhaps the, the whether it's the shot volume or the shot you know, shot selection has maybe been a bit lacking. Um, to have a player like Diop, who is young, is is you know likely only to get better and to to become more familiar with the setup uh, that that Clement implements. You know, having that some somebody who is a, a good, not just a, a link player, not just a creative player, but a, a, an outlet in terms of you know actually being able to finish chances. Perhaps when maybe Ben Yedder's not firing or Volland's not firing, it's good to have that additional goal threat um i mean I, i'd be curious to to find out your your perspective on him because obviously you watch monaco a lot more than i do um but from my cursory glances at monaco games he does appear quite one-footed which you know if he was maybe a bit more comfortable on both feet he might be an even better creative player yeah absolutely i know i know what you mean he, he's very much on that right foot and um but one good thing with him is his touch is almost like a Velcro touch. It's so tight mm. and so so stuck to his foot, the ball almost. It's really hard for opponents to sometimes react quickly enough because he's got that little burst of acceleration too. So sometimes he wins a lot of fouls, but like you say, if he if he gets if he gets found out and he, the opponent's onto him, it, it can like look quite bad and instant turnover. But yeah, he's a really he's a really um, impressive young player, like you've mentioned. Like it is good. Having him able to play on the wing is number ten, but from watching uh, Monaco a lot, I, I like him in, as one of those sort of dual tens, mm. sort of picking up space in between the lines in the half spaces, um, connecting attacks, connecting wide attacks plus central attacks, plus being in the vicinity of the striker. Whether you've got two against two on two at the back, he's not nice for layoffs. He's really sort of intricate with his passing little nice one-touch stuff and turns away from pressure, really skillful. But, yeah, his, his eye for a pass, his vision's very impressive too. He feeds runners really well. And obviously having that ability where he's adding goals now, it has been a massive boost with the strikers not at the form of last year. 
although they haven't been bad, but it, it is it is excellent getting goals from midfield always. So he's he has he has stepped it up a lot this year. I've, I've been very impressed with him. Just the yeah, creativity, imagination, just has that little bit of bit of extra you need sometimes in the in the final third, just to outmaneuver an opponent or just open a passing lane, have a little bit of skill with a step over or a shoulder drop, and that little turn of speed that he needs sometimes. And with the low center of gravity, he actually rides challenges quite well. And and then once he's dribbling into that open field, he's, he's a tough man to stop. So he obviously wins quite a lot of fouls as well. So and just yeah, it's been really positive just yeah, watching him develop um in the last couple of seasons to to like from very much a fringe player to almost, you know, very much in the sort of top fourteen players regularly playing, you know, he probably plays every game if he's fit, whether from the start or from the bench. So yeah, really, really impressive. A lot of the stuff you've mentioned too and just that yeah, that what does not get mentioned a lot with him is that defensive work rate, the pressing, yeah. the ball winning, just and the counter pressing sort of hairs straight at opponents after that ball's lost to win it back and attack again, which is a pretty important tenet of a lot of a lot of modern coaching and modern football as a whole. So yeah, having that work rate to match the creativity is is a really nice bonus and almost a necessary um, component of what has to be in in a number ten sort of attacking midfielder type players. Armory. Yeah, I mean, I I remember a couple of years ago now. Um, it was I think it was a, I can't remember which competition it was in. Maybe Coupe Coupe de la Ligue. Coupe de, uh, yeah, I think it was Coupe de yeah. la Ligue. Um, and I, I feel I seem to remember Diop scoring a penalty like a Penenka against Rennes, which was obviously his former club. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it it. I mean, at the time, you must he must have been around seventeen or eighteen, and I remember thinking. Jesus, this is, you know, this 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 lad's got some cojones here. You know, didn't celebrate, kind of just walked back to, <laughs> to the center circle, and you thought, wow. But the thing is, at that time, I don't know whether this was just a, a blind spot of mine. I don't remember him being, you know, this really hardworking off the ball player. He 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 initially interested me because I, you know, his running style and his his ability in the final third was kind of it reminded me a little bit of Riyad Mahrez. Um, but I, I mean. To, to watch him this season, he's he definitely is a. I mean, t- to my knowledge, anyway, anyone who's watched him, yourself included, might might tell me, you know, yeah, you're absolutely wrong. You completely missed that at the time, but he seems a different player because of that work rate which you mentioned, which a lot of the time I think goes goes under the radar for a lot of players, not just um, Diop and, and players of his nature, but you know, he's in the top ten percent of of attacking midfielders in Europe's top five leagues for for pressures and successful pressures, um, so. You know, that's. I mean, it, talk about transferable skills. You, you mentioned it about as being an important tenet of of modern coaching. If you're if you're putting that worker in, you're you're immediately becoming a very pliable player for 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 sporting directors across Europe because they know that you're going to put the work in, or they know that you've already demonstrated the 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 willing capability to do that. So, yeah, he's he's one that um I've I've really been pleased to see kicking on this season. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say Kovac probably has a lot to like thank for him being so good in that regard now as a as a, a weapon defensively because he's obviously big on the discipline and um, mm. everyone putting in the work and pressing as a unit. And obviously, you saw the stats; they sort of being the highest presses, uh, allowing the least passes per defensive action. Monaco, so he's doing a pretty 
well, he did a very good job in that phase of the game. Although they did get left open at, at times and mistakes hurt them, the, the, the framework definitely suited him and he rose to the occasion. Like I remember the, you know, hearing 18 months ago, Kovac was like, yes, he'd have a good game and he'd always be mentioning he's still not there yet. He needs to work off the ball. He needs to keep keep working himself and applying himself in those moments when we don't have possession. So I'm pretty sure you're spot on with your assessment. He's definitely improved in, in that aspect. Very kind of you to say. I, I'm, I'm very. I'm feeling very validated there. I was. I was. I felt like I was going out on a limb a little bit, and I. I was ready to the eye test. To be. I was ready to be put back in my box. But no, that's that's a relief more than anything. Um, you wanted to, Ed. You you also wanted to to discuss sort of the away from the under twenty three side, just a bit more contextual information about Monaco this season, and you know some of the, the the players who are you know older than twenty three, but not by much. You know the the Alexander Golovins, you know, the Gelsham Martins, you know, players who, I mean, while they may not have been, you know, regulars on the Scouted Football podcast, definitely have featured on the, the Scouted Football Twitter and Instagram accounts over the past few years. Yeah, well, to, to give you a couple of more youngsters before we head into that, obviously we can we can talk about Matazo, who's who's a sort of a little mini chow mini for Fana Blend, full of energy, full of pressure, little, little nuggety midfielder, and he's had some really nice performances in the last um, probably 12 months, 18 months, just coming on in cup games, filling in for injured players. And he's he's certainly got a lot of potential. He's he's really been a massive sort of asset to have as a backup. And then Matt Seymour as well as a promising, showed some promise at centre-back, particularly good game against PSG last year. Hasn't quite got the same amount of action this year, but definitely a player that's one to keep an eye on and obviously another young defender, Batty Ashile, who you would have covered heavily. And he's he's mm. sort of coming along well. Development's steady. Obviously a massive talent with the ball. Great pass. They've got a wand of a left foot. Brilliant ball carrier out of the back. Just has those lapses every now and then and the consistency's not there. He hasn't sort of taken that next step yet, but there's definitely all the, all the hallmarks of a, of a quality centre-back in there. And just as the same really goes for Pavlovic, the big Serbian, who's um, now been into his second season now with Monaco. Once again, a nice passer in that modern sort of blend of of young centre-backs, but just needs that experience at the highest level and just adapt and just to get more confident and, and comfortable at the highest level. And then obviously just a couple more youngsters. Goobles, who's on loan at Nantes. He's, he had a few cameos last year and it's good to see him get him some more minutes because he, you know, with buying Boadu sort of spelt the end for him. And then Majeki in goal, who who did some good stuff in the cup last year in net. And um, Lecomte sort of and Manone were sort of playing as well. So, yeah, he's, he's another one who's, who's um, proven his worth at various times. And sort of the some of the other young players... There are older players that that probably haven't spoken too much about yet, like Jelson Martin's just quietly very impressive, really. He's got his three goals and two assists this year. Always provides that bit of unpredictability and really good one when one v one dribbling and full of acceleration and he's just a good good um unpredictable sort of operator to, to call on off the bench or to start games when you obviously need that squad rotation with Monaco playing and on multiple fronts and Golovin's just like just a super fun player to watch He's injured quite a lot, but just watching him weave in and out of challenges and just doing that, picking those passes that no one else sees doing something that no one expects. Just, just a real sort of X factor on the ball and 
you know, he's a, he's a really handy player to have. And obviously they love him there with that Russian connection. Hmm, so it'd yeah. be good for him to really sort of take his game to a, like he's obviously already very, very high level player, but just to that consistent, get himself healthy permanently and just have a full season where he just, because he could really do some absolute damage throughout a whole season. And probably one of the more unheralded men we've spoken about is Henrique, who obviously was excellent last year. Really good this year again, sort of seven to eight out of 10 every game. Really brilliant on the assists, brilliant crosser, great ball progressor, just a sort of a really measured player, very thoughtful, just uses the ball well. He does everything pretty well. Four assists already this year, just solid all-round defender and really nice on the offensive end too. So I think he'll probably be one that a lot of big clubs will be looking at come the summer as well. And obviously Fafana, who was amazing last year, probably got a little bit overshadowed by Chow Many in there in the midfield, but he was in many games, he was the equal of Chow Many and just the defensive work, like you said, having those two engines in there, just Monaco would just recover balls relentlessly and just win those midfield battles, win the second balls and get the team progressing up the pitch again. Like their, their defensive numbers were just yeah, extremely high for, for regains and recovering and tackles inception. So they were a great, a great duo in there and, yeah, I was just looking forward to hopefully just getting Monaco sort of back into that top three like we were last year. So they've been on a, on a little bit of good run of form. So Clermont will have his, his hands full um, settling into the job. He's sort of got to get into it quickly. We've got Nantes on the weekend. So um, will be no, not really much time for him to get things into place. So we'll probably he's got a great base and foundation to work with. So and like you said, the Diata reunion should be really interesting because he sort of depending on the formation we see he's probably better as a winger and he, a lot of the times he was playing as a wing back or one of those inside attacking midfielders so the roles probably didn't really suit him under Kovac so to get the best out of him so expect a, a sort of a good surge from him with Clement in charge so it's definitely going to be an exciting second second portion of the season indeed yeah, I mean, just just looking at the table, um, obviously those fixtures that, that Monaco have coming up, um, Nantes on the weekend, Nantes in seventh, Monaco in sixth. Um, you know, the, Monaco are only four points off Nice in second place uh, and Marseille in third, who are joint second with 33 points. So, you know, there's there's definitely scope to for, for, for Clement to, to immediately win over, I don't know whether what's more important, the fans or the ownership, um, by, really? by, by, by hitting the ground running. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely opportunities to win there, um, but some important games, uh, I mean, for one, I am, I am, I'm looking forward to potentially seeing the best of Diata again, because I think, you know, it, it is very important when a player works with a manager they trust and they feel as though they are, you know, are playing them to their strengths. It'll probably be a breath of fresh air when he comes back into the team, um, and he is playing in a much more attacking role. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't actually realise before his injury he was playing uh, a sort of a wing-back. So, I mean... Yeah, wing-back um, more in possession because obviously they'd have the back four yeah. without possession. But yeah, he was essentially playing more as a wing-back, which, you know, similar principles, but just a little bit probably not quite as high as he might want to be in a lot of occasions and other, and other occasions in that sort of dual, one of those dual 10 roles. So probably not entirely suiting him because he probably likes to have a bit more space in front of him, use that dribbling, get isolation with a yeah. fullback. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he how he fares from now on. 
He's the. I mean, the, the thing with Diata is that he's just such a, an explosive player. You know, you put him, you put him one on one with the fullback or a central defender, and you know, you, you, you're betting on Diata rather than the the opponent. Um, so yeah. to put him so far from goal is, you know, it, it's. I mean, he's going to run out of steam at some point, and he can't beat the entire team. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe that can be sort of a, an upsurge. Um, if that's even a word, <laughs> when when Clement comes in there and and really gets his his fingerprint on things, um, but yeah, Ed, thank you very much for for coming on and, and talking to us about about Monaco. Um, I think you know for for anybody who has been intrigued by this or has been interested to to know more about Monaco, they can they can find you uh, and, and your work at the Monaco Tribune uh, and also on Twitter uh, at at Edward Stratman one T two N's in Stratman uh, for for anybody who's interested in that. Um, but yeah, it's just is there anything to finally that, that you want to say to 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 promote or that you want to push before uh, before we get go away? Yeah, no, it's just thanks for having me, Joe. It was great to have a have a chat about Monaco, following on from the Roma one we did a few months ago. And yeah, I think we've covered a lot of the topics that. Um, of interest surrounding the club and, and what's going on. And yeah, if you want to read my work, um, Monaco Tribune, mainly smaller pieces this week with the, um, with the new coaching sackings, new players. So just sort of more briefer pieces just to sort of, um, yeah, keep things, everyone in the loop, but they have got some stats in them and things. So, but yeah, the last, last week's one on the statistical breakdown of the season so far, if you want it, yeah, like some of the numbers I mentioned there, you can sort of read deeper into that and sort of shows how Monaco are actually doing quite well and maybe could have even been doing better um, than their league position suggests. So, yeah, thanks again, Joe. I really enjoyed it. No, no, thank you to you, Ed. It's been it's been a pleasure. Uh, and for anybody who um, who's keen to, to watch some of Monaco this season, uh, if you're in the UK, I can't claim to know all the TV channels abroad, but if you're in the UK, uh, then Monaco are occasionally on BT Sport. Um, so do check that out if uh, if you have the ability to. Um, but yeah, this has been uh, the Scouted Football Podcast with myself, Joe Donoghue, and Ed Stratman on AS Monaco. Uh, thank you for, for tuning in to the first episode of 2022. There's plenty more where that came from. Uh, and again, please, if you've enjoyed this episode, do remember to give us five stars on whichever podcast provider you listen on. Uh, stay safe, take care. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.